Thanks, Nate, for that. We are indeed blessed to have Nate Burbank as our organist here. His folks are here all the way from Vermont today. They're going to be here with us for a few weeks through Easter. At this time, our kids that are in kindergarten and uh, from like three, four, and five in kindergarten, or four or five in kindergarten, that's it. Can you meet Miss Rachel over here in the corner? Go to Praise Kids. Uh, it's that time where you don't have to sit through the sermons, so some of you may wish you could go, but <laughs> it may not feel like spring today, like Mark and Trey said, but it looks like spring, at least in, in my neighborhood. When I drive here, I, I cut across Terra. It's a little side street. Some of you know where it is off of Harding over there. When you go on Terra, we, we went away a couple weeks ago to the beach, and when we came back, it was like spring had sprung in Nashville. And when you drive up Terra, there's one house that has a sidewalk that runs in the front of that house, and there's these dogwoods that line the sidewalk, and they went from being what looked completely dead to fully alive in a, over a week's period. And driving up that street, I just smile every time I drive by that house because it's clear that the beauty of the earth, for the beauty of the earth, we praise our God who created it all, who brings new life from what once was dead. And that's why we're here this morning, gathered as his people, to sing the mighty power of God all Hail the power of Jesus' name. Thank you, Mark and Lauren and everyone for leading us in worship today. We're going to continue our series in the Gospel of John by looking at a wonderful text, one of my favorite passages. I had lunch with John Tarpley this week. He said that he taught this text as part of a men's Bible study he was in, John chapter 5, verses 1 through 18. And so far, where we've been in John, the last few stories that we've looked at have focused on individual encounters with Jesus. First, we saw in John chapter 3 how Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, and Nicodemus was a, a ruler of the Jews. He was a well-qualified, wealthy, powerful, aristocratic Jewish male. He fit all the credentials. And then the next story we saw, Trey wonderfully introduced us to the woman at the well who was none of those things. She was a Samaritan, part of a pagan people who had mixed Judaism and idolatry. She was a, a female, and yet Jesus reached out to her and offered her the living water of life that never runs dry. And then we saw how he, last week, how Jesus encountered this uh, Roman official who was a, a pagan Roman man, and how Jesus shared the good news of healing and hope to him, and his son's life was immediately restored 20 miles away in Capernaum. So all of these are encounters that are with individuals, where Jesus encounters someone one-on-one. -on -one. Today, we're going to move into this next section of John, where for the next six chapters, really, there's going to be growing, escalating conflict between the Jewish establishment in Jerusalem. The, the, the public nature of Jesus' ministry is really about to take off, and we're going to see how that affects him and his ministry as he creates this growing frustration among the Jewish leaders. I, I'm reminded as we look at these encounters that the gospel of Jesus Christ is for all people. It's for the Jewish chosen people of God. It's for the, the woman who's living a, a life of moral failure and who's a Samaritan outside of the chosen covenant of God. And it's for the Roman official who's a pagan whose son was desperately sick and he had no one to turn to but Jesus Christ. The gospel transcends 
all barriers and goes to every nation, tribe, and tongue. We would do well to remember that, that in heaven we're going to be surrounded by the nations because the diversity of God's people reflects the glory of our Creator. So let's stand, if you're able to, in honor of his word as I read our text for today, John chapter 5, verses 1 through 18. And before we're too hard on these Jewish officials and Jewish leaders, let's remember that when you look at cultural Judaism in the time of Jesus, it's very comparable to cultural Christianity of our day. When you think of who the religious establishment of our day is, you're looking at them. It's us. The people that Jesus was the hardest on were the most religious. So we need to point the finger inward as we read this text for today. John chapter 5, verses 1 through 18. Hear the word of the Lord. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool, in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew what he had already, that he'd already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed. And he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. <laughs> but he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I don't know about you, but I think a lot of people in our society are skeptical when it comes to miracles today in our world. You know, miracles happen every day, I believe, all around us. It's just that we're not always attuned spiritually to see what's happening. When you stop and think about it, I'm sure you've witnessed the miraculous power of God. You may not have recognized it, but I certainly have seen it. But I also tend towards skepticism and cynicism. And in our modern scientific world, I tend to raise an eyebrow along with many of you whenever I hear about a statue in South America that is crying tears of blood, and, or whenever a, a group of children claim that they've seen an apparition of the Virgin Mary. You know what inevitably follows an occurrence like that? The local church in that area builds a shrine to commemorate the miraculous occurrence, and 
Millions of visitors from all over the world flock to that shrine, and they're all encouraged to leave a generous donation. Again, I tend towards cynicism and skepticism when it comes to these kinds of miracles. Our God is the God of miracles, though, and he is certainly capable of doing miraculous things, whatever he wants to do. But miracles can often get reduced to to sideshows or magical displays where people ooh and ah. Jesus in the Gospel of John is really against those kinds of miracles, and apparently that's what was happening at the pool of Bethesda in Jerusalem. There were actually two pools that used to be there in the the northeast corner of the old city in Jerusalem. If you go and visit the church of St. Anne in Jerusalem today, it's an old uh, basilica that was built during the Byzantine Empire in the 400s. They'll actually take you down to the excavation to see the remains of those two pools on which it was built. And the pools were fed by a natural spring, and occasionally, according to the archaeologists who've unearthed this, the spring would bubble up. And when the spring would bubble up, the waters would ripple and move. And so Jewish culture at that time was obsessed with angelology, the study of angels. And so people assumed that an angel had come down from heaven to magically stir the water. And apparently it happened on one occasion that someone was in the pool as the water moved and they were healed. And so they claimed that whoever was first to the pool when it moved, when the waters rippled, would be healed. And the legend grew from there and spread and spread. And I think it's fascinating that in this culture, it was about being first, the first one to get there when the waters moved. They were the ones to be healed. And this poor man that we read about today could never be first. And that's how it works in our economy today, doesn't it? People are climbing over each other to be number one, to be first place. We're taught that if you're not first, you're last. That's not how it works in God's economy. Jesus said the first shall be the last, and the last shall be the first. This man doesn't understand what it truly means to be first, what true healing comes from. It doesn't come from being first. So this is not scripture in verse four. Look at verse four in your Bibles. You may not have a verse four. Mark, you have a verse four up there? No, you don't, because there is no verse four. (laughs) It was a textual variant that came from the angelology of the Hebrew culture. You may have a footnote in your Bible. I have one in my Bible. Basically, what it means is that the the best versions of John that we found don't have verse 4 in them. The King James Version does, but since the 1600s, we found better copies of the Gospel of John. And we know that verse 4 was actually added later. But it says this, For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred the water. Whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was healed of whatever disease he had. And while that's not scripture, it's not in the Bible, that's exactly what people believed to be true. That's why there was this huge multitude gathered around the pool at Bethesda. Some kind person had built five porticos, covered porches, to keep these sick people out of the sun while they waited for the water to move. Now imagine this multitude that's gathered around the pools. 
Every kind of, of severe disability you can imagine is among this multitude. It doesn't say there were a few. We're talking hundreds and hundreds of very sick people. People with leprosy, skin diseases of all kinds, people who were blind either from birth or because of some incident or accident, people who had all kinds of fevers and couldn't be in the sun, therefore they reclined under the shade of the porticos. It's a tragic display of human suffering. Those with less severe disabilities would scramble over those who had more severe disabilities in order to get to the pool first when the waters moved. They jockeyed for position to get close to the pool so they could be the first one in when the waters moved. And Jesus walks right in. This is why he came to earth, to seek and to save the lost. And these are lost and broken people, and they know it. Now, I'm not a complete germaphobe. I, I can handle, you know, being around some sick people better now, but uh, it doesn't take much for me to get worked up about being kind of grossed out, okay? I, I have kind of a weak stomach when it comes to sickness and illness. All you medical professionals out there, kudos to you guys. Thank you for doing what you do, because I couldn't do it. There's no way. I don't have the, the stomach for it. It used to be that, that hospitals and nursing homes really freaked me out, but you know, it's part of the job, right, is being a pastor. And after two years of, of every week, I'm in the hospitals and, and rehab centers and, and nursing homes, and I've learned to really treasure and cherish that part of the job to be there for people who are hurting physically, emotionally, mentally, people who are scared and in pain. I really relish that part of the job now. But Jesus also ministers to the sick and suffering. This sea of tragic humanity is exactly what Jesus came to seek out. And he singles out one of the absolute worst cases. He finds a man who apparently had been paralyzed or completely lame for 38 years, which I don't think it's coincidence. That's how long the people of Israel wandered in the wilderness. They spent a year at Sinai and a year at Moab, and then they spent 38 years wandering in the wilderness. My version uh, in the ESV says in verse 5 that this man was an invalid. He was invalid, not valid, unacceptable, un worthy to society. Do you ever feel unworthy? Do you ever feel unacceptable? I hope you don't at Woodmont Baptist Church. I hope that our church is a house of prayer for all nations and that everyone is welcome in this place fully. That's exactly how this man felt and Jesus saw him and he sees you if you feel unworthy and unacceptable. The Greek word that's used for invalid is asthenia. It's a general term for anyone who is severely disabled. And some versions say that this man was sick or that he was infirm, but it's so much worse than that. He had no way of getting to the pool because of his disability. He was helpless and hopeless. And so Jesus approaches this unacceptable, invalid, invalid and the first thing he says to him is, do you want to be healed? At first, that sounds like a ridiculous question. You know, again, I've learned 
to not ask certain questions. You know the rule on uh, when you should ask a woman if she's pregnant? You know the rule on that? Never, ever, 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 ever. Under any circumstance, should you ask a woman if she's pregnant? Just never, don't do it. Just the rule is never. You ever ask somebody who's pulled over on the side of the road why they're under the hood of their car, you know, looking under their car? Oh, something wrong with your car? <laughs> if you ask them that, if they're like me, they may say, no, no, I'm just admiring my mechanic's handiwork here, but thanks for asking. Yeah, appreciate it. No, I'm fine. <laughs> you shouldn't ask certain questions, and I can honestly say that in all my hospital visits and all my visits to nursing homes, I've never stood by someone's bed and said, do you want to be healed or no? Oh, yes? Oh, okay. It's not a question that ever really crossed my mind. This man had been unable to move himself and had therefore become unacceptable to society for 38 years, which is longer than most people lived in this time and age. And that's why he lays by the pool day after day. Of course he wants to get well. He's desperately hoping that someone will take pity on him and drag his body to the pool first, ahead of everyone else. And over 38 years, it hasn't happened. Why in the world would Jesus ask him if he wants to be healed? Because this one question summarizes the problem that we all face. The question, do you want to be healed, is the same question that Jesus still asks of you and me today. Do you want to be healed? This, this question summarizes the great problem in all of our lives. It's the same question that Jesus is still asking. Do you desire to be well? Do you really want in your heart to truly thrive and live to the fullest in the sunlight, in the open? Or are you content to hide in your dark corners where you're more comfortable? C.S. Lewis wrote that our, our problem is not that our desire for sin and for pleasure is too great, it's that it's too weak. He laughs at how we fool about, he says, with women and with drink. It's like a child, he says, who lives in the slums, who is content to sit and make mud pies in the slums because he can't fathom what it means to have a holiday at the beach. That's what the Lord offers to us. And we can't even grasp how wonderful and flourishing and thriving that kind of life is. The problem for some of us isn't just that we're content to sit in the slums with our hurts, our habits, our hangups. It's that we love them. We're possessive of them. We don't want anyone to come and take away our precious hurts and habits and hangups and sin. We don't want them to go away because we've grown attached to the baggage that we carry as a part of us. Remember what Jesus told Nicodemus back in chapter 3. Right after he says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. In verse 19, just a couple verses later, he says... The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light. Isn't that sad? Because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light 
lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Jesus, the light of the world, came into the world and people said, no, I'm going to take my darkness. I'd rather sit in my darkness with my sin than embrace the light of the world. That's not a sane choice, is it? We're all sick. Invalids in Jesus' day also lived on the charity and the support of others. You could make a pretty good living by being an invalid. Some kind person built these five porticos so that the invalids could have shade where they could beg and and borrow from others. This particular man confronted with Jesus' question, do you want to be healed? He stood to lose a pretty comfortable way of living by being healed. He may have in that moment when Jesus asked him, do you want to be healed? He may have looked out at the people working in the sun, carrying their loads and and plowing their fields. And he may have said, you know what? I'm good. I'm just going to lay here. I think I'm okay just to stay in the shade and take it easy on my bed here. I don't want to go back and really live. But he wasn't really living, was he? He was just surviving. That's not the thriving kind of abundant life that God came to bring him. He's laying on a mat 24 hours a day by the pool, just desperately hoping that someone will take him and heal him. That's not life. But so many people in our world are like that. They're they're like the humans that are plugged into the matrix, right? That are simply content to take the blue pill and stay asleep in their comfortable make-believe world than rather take the red pill and wake up to a harsh reality. Those of you that are not Gen Xers or Millennials may not get those references, but (laughs) my apologies if you don't. The key in this question, do you want to be well, is Jesus probing the, the heart. He's asking the man, what is it that you truly desire? What do you love? What are you pursuing? What are you chasing after? St. Augustine said basically that we are what we love. We chase what we love, we pursue what we love, and we resemble eventually what it is that we love. So we must all answer this question, do you want to be healed? Do you desire the healing that Christ brings? And the way we answer that question matters greatly. It affects the entire way that we live our lives and the trajectory on which we are headed. Many of us honestly would say, do, we, do I want to be healed? Well. Thanks, but I'm not sick. I'm okay. You're okay. The kids are all right. Most people are good. It's false gospel. False gospel of I'm okay, you're okay. No, Jesus was so hard on the people who said stuff like that. Mostly the Pharisees. Look at Mark 2, verse 16 and 17. The scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating Jesus was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. What good is it to say, dear Savior, come, if there is nothing you need rescue from? We need rescue. We are sick. The truth is that we are desperately sick, but we are also 
desperately loved more than we could ever imagine. I love how the, the uh, invalid man doesn't simply answer the question. Jesus is asking him a yes or no question. I get this way with my children. I ask them a yes or no question. Instead, I get an excuse or something. I said, look, I'm looking for a yes or no. Jesus says, do you want to be healed? Yes or no? The man says, well, look, nobody's here to, to put me in the pool. Just say yes or no, man. What do you want? He immediately goes to what he thinks his problem is. He thinks his problem is that his disability is preventing him from the magic waters of the pool that will be his healing. But Jesus doesn't need magic water. Jesus heals the same way that he heals the official's son, by the sovereign power of his word. Look at verse 8. Jesus says to him, get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed. And he took up his bed, his legs got strong for the first time in his life, and he walked. Amen. That would be a great story if it just ended there, right? Hallelujah. Thanks be to God. But there's more that God's word wants to reveal to us in this text. Jesus performed this healing miracle on the Sabbath day. Even though it was no work for him because he could just pronounce him healed by the sovereign power of his word, he still did a work on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a day that was set aside by God in the Ten Commandments from the very beginning of God's rules to be a day that was set aside as holy unto the Lord. It was intended by God as a gracious gift to us. It was a day to restore some balance and some sanity to our lives. It was a day meant to bring wholeness and healing because he knew, God knew in his sovereignty that as humans in our sin, we would be spinning our wheels, desperately trying to scratch and claw a living out of this life. And he said, take some time to rest. It was meant as a gift, but the Jewish legal experts devised a series of rules to mandate whether or not you were keeping Sabbath. These rules were so rigorous that they forbade anyone from carrying anything on the Sabbath. When they ate, they weren't allowed to hold any more food at any one time than the weight of one dried fig. You couldn't take a bowl of figs from the counter to the table. You had to take them one by one. Which one sounds more burdensome? <laughs> you couldn't eat a sandwich. I love a good cheeseburger. You couldn't eat the whole thing because, not with your hands anyway, because that lifting was work and you couldn't do that. <laughs> How terrible and how burdensome. They took something good from God and they twisted it into something toxic. But this man doesn't defend himself. He doesn't defend Jesus. You know what I would have said? Really, guys? You're, you're upset that I'm carrying my bedroll? I've just been healed. I've experienced a miracle in my life. For the first time in almost 40 years, I'm walking. I'm going to go home and I'm going to carry everything I possibly can. I'm going to carry it all. I'm going to do jumping jacks and squats and I'm going to pull everything I can today because it's the first time in 38 years that I can. And I'm going to enjoy it and praise God for it. But that's not what he says. That's not what he says. Instead, he just kind of throws Jesus under the bus. Look at verse 11. The man who healed me 
That man said to me, take up your bed. He told me to. Sounds like my kids. He told me to. But Jesus isn't giving up on him. Jesus is not done with him yet. So he goes and he finds him later in the temple. The temple is where this man could not have previously gone because his disability rendered him unacceptable for the holiness of God's house. And now the first thing he does is go to the temple where he hasn't been allowed to go for 38 years. And Jesus finds him. He seeks him out. And he he has a follow-up conversation. Look at verse 14. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. It's like Jesus is encouraging this man to follow through on the new reality that he's experienced, to follow through on this new kind of life that he's been given now. He's saying to him, look, you're healed. Now go and live the abundant life that God came to bring you, a life of holiness in the light. Don't use your newfound freedom as an opportunity to indulge in sin. It's only going to end in destruction. Please don't do it. But the man doesn't get it. He's still fearful of the Jewish authorities. So he runs and tattletales on Jesus. Look at verse 15. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. And I love how Jesus handles this again. He doesn't, if it was me, I would have gotten into a rabbinical debate about the absurdity of the Sabbath laws. I would have shown them the fallacies of their arguments. But Jesus, he's so much wiser and more gracious than I am, of course. He doesn't get into any kind of petty debates. He owns it. Look at verse 17. Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am am working. What are you going to do about it? I'm working on the Sabbath. Look at me. I'm working. (laughs) I love it. Verse 18. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, which is bad enough, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. God works all the time. It's true. If God didn't work, the universe would collapse. The rabbis acknowledged that even on the seventh day of creation, when God rested from his work, that he didn't fully rest, that he still sustained the creation by his eternal word. Because if he didn't, again, everything would collapse into nothingness. But they justified it by saying, he's God, he can do that. We're not, so we can't. But Jesus says, oh no, I can't, because I am God. It's a claim to divinity. People who say that Jesus was a good man, but he wasn't God, what do you do with a text like this? He's claiming to be God because he's the son of God. He has all the rights of a son. The son has the same name as the father. The son has the same reputation that the father has, and the son has all the same family privileges that his father has. It's a claim of divine authority and identity. So the Jewish leaders resolve to kill him. Think about this for a second. Because Jesus chose to heal this invalid, 
this ungrateful invalid, he signed his own death warrant. The Jewish leaders knew exactly what Jesus was saying. He was saying, I'm working because I am God. That's blasphemy, according to the Jewish leaders, and that must be punished by death. That miracle of healing the invalid set Jesus on an inevitable trajectory straight to the cross. He loved the invalid that much that he was willing to heal him and take the route to the cross. And he loves us that much still. The question remains for us today, do we want to be healed? Jesus is willing to go to the cross for you and for me to bring us healing. We all have baggage. We all need healing. It may be sin that's unconfessed and hidden. It may be sin that's generational. It's passed down from grandparents and parents. Familial sin. It may be sin that's habitual. Sin that we're holding on to because we've fallen in love with it. It may be sin that we don't even recognize as sin. Maybe something we're proud of that we need to repent of. Maybe it's sin that has caused us physical or emotional or mental pain that we don't need to carry anymore. Jesus told the invalid to go and sin no more, to live the abundant life that Jesus came to bring him, to experience the complete and total healing of the grace of Jesus Christ, to leave his sin and baggage behind at the temple altar. Will you do the same today? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the cross of Christ, that he was willing to go on our behalf and experience the kind of pain and persecution that we deserve through our sins, and yet he took it willingly upon himself. God, we thank you that he brings us healing. Forgive us for loving our mud pies in the slums when you offer us a holiday at the beach. God, I pray that you would help us to understand that the healing that you offer us is infinitely greater than anything this world has to offer. God, we've become slaves to our work. We've become slaves to our reputation, slaves to our identity on earth. I pray that you would help us to become slaves to righteousness and find the freedom that comes from calling you Lord. God, I pray for those who have not confessed you as Lord, those who need healing for the first time in their lives, that they would say to Jesus, yes, I want to be healed inside and out. I'm going to be completely reborn and made new. God, for those of us who have already accepted you, who confess you as Lord, I pray that we would also say, yes, we want to be healed because sin is so pervasive in our lives that we need the daily, minute by minute, second by second healing that your grace alone provides. I pray that we, like the woman at the well, would be able to say with confidence, give us that living water so that we may never be thirsty again. God, we love you and we pray all these things in the high and the holy name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We're going to have a time of invitation now. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as Lord, there's no better time to do so than right now.
I want to talk to you. Maybe you feel the spirit in your heart right now and you know you need to come forward and pray with somebody. I'll be here to receive you. I'm going to ask Trey and Jane if y'all will come forward too. If you want to pray with somebody, they'll be here at the altar as well. Maybe you need healing. Brad, if you'll come too. If, you'll, if you want healing spiritually, mentally, emotionally, whatever it is in your life, maybe you need healing because of some baggage you realize your parents have, have experienced and that you've been put on. If you just want to come kneel at the altar and pray for somebody, maybe you want to intercede on behalf of someone else today. Whatever it is you need to do during this time, we're going to stand and sing, Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Let's stand and sing.